Welcome. This is Karen Modakaitis, and you're listening to How She Really Does It, the place where inspiration and possibility meet on KDRT 95.7 FM. All right. Hello, hello, hello. I have such a great treat for you guys today. Michelle Woodward, my good friend, is back, and we are having a conversation about second guessing yourself and self doubt. And just so you know, A lot of times these conversations and these themes that we talk about are the themes that come up in with client sessions. What are the things that we keep hearing people talk about? And so we bring this to you, our insights, our thoughts, our conversations. You can take them, you can leave them, you can let them muddle around in your brain and see what rings true for you. Or if there's a sentence, Michelle's brilliant at sentences, you can steal it and use it as your own. And more importantly, I hope these conversations really inspire you and give you some insight so that you can authentically show up in your life. And I know that word authentic can be overused, but it's really about you being who you are on the inside and letting yourself show up and be seen in your life. So we are talking about second guessing and self-doubt. And after the conversation, I'll circle back and invite you to join me. Thanks so much for listening. Michelle, Michelle, I'm so glad to talk with you today. I am so happy to. And we're going to talk about second guessing yourself and self doubt. Boy, those are killers, aren't they? They are absolute killers. I got an email this morning from um, a coach who says, I'm successful by any measure, I'm successful. But sometimes I'm absolutely frozen with self doubt and fear. And I thought, well, welcome to the club. I mean, I think I think a lot of people have that, don't you? I think they do. And this show, if anything, if just people realize it's not just them, right? We all can suffer from this. What relief in that is that for so many people out there? Well, and if I'm gonna like get up on my soapbox for a minute, you know, if you watch social media and you watch people's presence in social media, a lot of times you think, oh my gosh, all they're doing is wearing really great shoes. (laughs) And they seem to dance a lot and like go to exotic locations. And, you know, the hair always looks fantastic. And it's kind of hard to believe that a lot of people deal with this like self-doubt, this crushing sense of, am I doing the right thing? Is this, is this it? Is this, am am I in the right place? But I think, I think it's a very much human nature. And then the question is, how do you How do you handle it so it doesn't become crippling? So how do you handle it so it doesn't become crippling? Well, of course, I have many steps that I think (laughs) we should do. But I do think that it really helps to kind of get quiet and still with yourself. And when I say quiet and still, I think everybody should realize that if you're incapable of getting still, that you can get quiet and moving. Like Mm -hmm. you could do swim laps in the pool. You could take a long walk. Um, There are different ways that people allow themselves to be open to considering things. So when I say quiet and still, it could be you could be active and yet achieve that kind of stillness. Do you know what I mean by that? Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. So, um, but to really understand what is going on here, 
you know, what is going on that makes me have this, this real self-doubt? And my response back to this coach was about my own feelings sometimes of being frozen. <clears throat> and one of the things is like, um, I need more job, dis- more job security. I mean, this is one that comes at me every once in a while. So I need more job security. Being a coach, having clients come and go, you know, this month I have this many, next month I, I don't know how many I'm going to have. I, I, I can sink into that, that kind of whirlpool. But then I answered my own question, which is I have been doing this work for 12 years. Mm-hmm. If that's not job security, I don't know what is. Well, and then let's just go back to, you know, this idea of job security, right? When you work for somebody else, you may have the illusion of job security, but really what happens is that you're more of an emotional child because they can determine whether or not you're going to work, right? And so, so often as you and I both have experienced with clients is somebody may get laid off unexpectedly and they were doing great work and they get laid off versus when you are you know, and everybody has to figure out what works best for them because being an entrepreneur is not the best for everybody. But this idea of job security, when you're creating, you for the last 12 years have been creating this business that you have. That's right. And, you know, I was working with a client today who's just been offered an amazing job offered by a CEO who's in the news quite a bit. And I said to the client, well, have you considered what you're going to do if the CEO has gone in 12 to 18 months. And my client said, absolutely, I've thought about that. So, <clears throat> you know, I really think today, in today's day and age, there really is very little job security. But uh, the other thing is that I'm, I'm, when I'm saying I need job security, you know, another way to think of that is I should have job security, which you and I have talked about <laughs> numerous times, is that where does that should come from? Is it, is it because in some ways... My work life is dramatically different than m- most of my friends, not my coach friends, but my, my friends and my family. Nobody really understands how this all works, right? And so it's not like I'm not like a school teacher, you know, that everybody understands. You go and you do the thing in the classroom. You know, so I could get stuck in this. Or I can say, hmm, I do have job security because I've done this for 12 years. And my work looks different from many people's work. And that's okay because I designed this. So, you know, taking a look at your self-doubt and saying, where is this coming from? You know, what external factors may be coming in on me? And really coming to understand where it originates, I think, is the most important step. What do you think? I think that's huge because the the words I use is like, where is the programming, right? And and we will, going back to the teacher scenario, uh, we, while we will think, okay, those are really safe jobs, you get tenure. I had a friend once who was a teacher at a different district and then finally got into our district and was so excited and was tenured in the other district, got into our district and was going through a probationary period. And then in March was said, you're let go. Right. And this was a phenomenal teacher who really loved what he did and he was just let go. So this idea again of security, but going back to what you said of taking a look at what are the expectations, external messaging that may be going on in people, especially when you do something that is counterculture. Are you comparing your life 
via somebody somebody else's expectations or understanding or are you living in alignment with like what we've talked about it your values your strengths right i mean i I think it's it's again how am i measuring this and if i've let uh social media get under my skin Mm -hmm. you know if i've seen how people are purporting to live and mine mine doesn't line up with that i can get very much any, I say I, I'm meaning we, any of us can get really off track when you realize a lot of times that's a constructed image as opposed to, you know, a, a documentary. You know, it's they've created this, Who people are showing this rather than really it's not a documentary of their life. So what do you think? So there's the external measurements, right, where we get into compare and despair. And that can be the thief of happiness. So when Ooh, that's going to be my next book, the thief of happiness. I love that the thief of happiness. And it is like I just know when I go into comparison, and it sits in the seats next to shame. It's all rooted in shame, right? But that is such a that is a thief of happiness. So comparing now, there's a difference because I've had to really think about this. I used to have an intro in my old shows. People, the listeners can hear it. Of if this is possible for them, what is possible for you? But that's not compare and despair. That's aspirational. What do I want to aspire? What insights can I gather from somebody else that maybe ideas or possibilities? And I go, ooh, I want some of that. How can I go create that? Which is very different type of energy behind. But when I think about sometimes with self-doubt, if I can sit with what's the message in this? What's going on inside internally? Is it an external message that I'm comparing myself with and I'm counterculture or is there something going on inside of me that I may be rumbling with? What do you think? I, I mean, I think that's, you know, it's again, it's that toggling between is this external, is this internal? You know, what is it there for me to learn here? Um, all those things are it's such an important part. But what I, I observe is that so many people like hurdle from one, like one thing to the next thing that they have no time for reflection. Mm-hmm. You know, and I have said to clients before, I want you to think about taking tomorrow or the next day off. And I really want you to just not think about work and not think about anything else, but focus on this. You know, focus on this decision or this crippling self-doubt um, and and really come to terms with where it's coming from and what you can learn from it and what do you need to do next. But a lot of us, you know, we just kind of, we, we have a little moment of self-doubt. Oh, did I say the right thing in that conversation? That's a big self-doubt point. You know, maybe I said the wrong thing or maybe I, I saw that person's body language. Maybe, maybe I was being a jerk or something. And instead of attending to it in the moment, we move on to the next thing. And the next moment of self-doubt sort of piles up. And then before you know it, you have a huge pile of self-doubt and then it's really hard to make any decisions. Have you ever seen that? Oh, absolutely. Because you just have this evidence and it creates this huge shame spiral of, look at me. I mean, my favorite go-to is I'm just a loser, right? Because you can pull up this instead of when you reflect and you give yourself that space and can look at it from that growth mindset that Carol Dweck talks about. <clears throat> and, you know, think about just, I was just about to say, you are like the least loserish person person I know, so that was going to be my response. 
But I do think that there are some times when you get in these kind of crises of self-doubt where it really is important to go to a trusted friend, like a trusted friend, not not necessarily a snarky friend or someone who's going to undermine you or somebody with their own issues, but a trusted friend or a coach and say, give me feedback. I'm worried about this. I, I'm feeling that I'm not doing this very well. What do you observe? And again, I say it has to be the right person mm-hmm. and not, not somebody who's just going to be like, oh my God, you're so fabulous. Mm-hmm. But not like, oh, okay. I don't actually observe that mm-hmm. because I don't know about you. But sometimes it's so easy to be kind of on an endless loop in my noggin that I do sometimes need that external outside eyes, which I wrote a blog post about that earlier uh, within, I think, in 2015. But um, that pair of outside eyes, you know, in in acting, um, when somebody's workshopping a play or a performance, a lot of times they ask somebody, be my outside eyes. See what I can't see. You know, help me make this a better performance by by doing that role. Mm-hmm. And I think that having that trusted pair of outside eyes can really be a helpful antidote to when you're really stuck in self-doubt. I think it's so important. And again, going back to it, it has to be something that's trusted. And in having those outside eyes, because when my loops... When I'm in my story, I know I'm in trouble because I can't see clearly. I can't think clearly. And then I go to that list of evidence that will fulfill that story of I'm a loser, even though I have this whole list of evidence, as you know, that I'm not a loser. But it's, it's, it's my default that I have. So having those outside eyes is huge, huge. How many? Go ahead. I was going to say, and you know, the thing is, is that if you continually... You know, if every when when you're starting something new, like this client I was mentioning, who's about to start this big job, you know, you're starting something new. You're learning new processes. You're new, learning new procedures. You're learning new people. Right? Uh, there are going to be self doubts. That's just normal part of acquiring new skills. So rather than saying I am a big freaking loser because I haven't done this job for 25 years and I'm just figuring it out, how about giving yourself the kind of grace? to say, wow, I am on a steep learning curve here. This is not a referendum on me as a human. This is just me on a steep learning curve. Okay. And just let that self-doubt that might hold you back, just let it drop. So now you're talking about moving into confidence. Yes. I'm going to put my confident voice on. Yes, I'm talking about confidence. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I do so much better when I'm in a place of confidence than when I'm in self-doubt or second-guessing myself because for me, that would be shame or fear. And so for for me, that, that reflection piece that you spoke of is huge. And it's something that I didn't know how to do many years ago. And I really think about it and I reflect. And even when I do something that may be out of alignment, you know, maybe I said something with that, I went, ooh, that wasn't wasn't what I wanted to say. That's not in line with who I am. I made a mistake and then I'll circle back and either apologize or correct what I said. Just for instance, this happens, this has happened twice this week. I was texting somebody something and I texted. And then after that, I sent a message and I said, this probably isn't a great conversation to have over text. And it was with 
I mean, it, the person and I, we go way back and it was, you know, a trusted person. And the next morning I saw on my phone, the text and I, what that I had sent to him. And I thought, Ooh, that wasn't very good. <laughs> so I texted, I said, I just reread what I wrote to you last night. Please disregard it. We, I'd like to have a conversation, right? Because I was just giving my opinion about something and the way it came out, it could be, and also knowing how he interprets stuff, it could have been really harsh and that wasn't my intent. I was exhausted. I was just trying to quickly get something done and boom. So I circled back and I, you know, I, and we're, and we're fine. And, and it wasn't something to him. I was just, again, giving my, him my opinion about a situation that he was going through, but it was not well done on my part. So having that space for me to even look at that and going, wow, and then being able to own it and say, hold on, I'm sorry. I made a mistake by sending this text. And, you know, I I learned that as a parent, which is, uh, you know, probably (laughs) the last thing I would have expected me to learn or to say. But there were times, uh, because I'm an empty nester now, my kids are pretty much grown, but um, where I would go back to my kids and say, you know, we, I've been thinking about the conversation we had last night and I realized I didn't say it the way I wanted to say it. Or when I've thought it through more, I realized you were right. <laughs> you know? And that is, but that, but what I think that taught my children was that it, it's okay to circle back. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's okay to amend the record, not remake the record, but to amend the record. And it's okay. It's really actually, I think, deeply respectful to say to somebody, I have been thinking about what we talked about. And I realize X, Y, Z, whatever you need to say. I think that's deeply respectful of another human being. Mm -hmm. You have such good words. I love listening to how you have these conversations with people. I'm a paid professional. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it's funny. I have, a, I have another client who started a new job and has been in the job, I think, 10 months. And this client keeps saying, well, you know, I'm new. Well, you know, I'm a new person. Well, you know, I'm new. And finally, I stopped and I said, is this the first job you've ever had in your whole life? Well, no. Mm-hmm. Do you think that the experience you had before you took this job, is it all the reason they hired you? So how do you benefit by saying all the time, oh, I'm, I'm the new person, you know, don't expect me to have any answers. I'm the new person. You can't do that for nine, 10 months. You can do it for six weeks. And I, I see this in a lot of coaches over the years too, is that like, oh, but you know, I'm not certified yet, or mm-hmm. I haven't gotten this credential. So, you know, blah, 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 blah. But you were a corporate attorney before you did coach training. Mm-hmm. You know, you were a, you know, you were a physician, you were a college professor, you were a social worker, whatever you were. Does that not count for a bit? You know what I mean? It's like self-doubt sometimes is all about what we're not. And so then the cure is focusing on what we are. Well, you know, one of the scenarios that has happened a lot with some of my clients is, um, and these are people who have gone through high levels of education, PhDs or professional schools. And again, in a new job or in a situation, and I remind them that they're no longer an intern. They are a professional and they have been for maybe 5, 10, 15, 20 years. 
but they go back to acting like they're the intern instead of really owning their skill set. And it doesn't mean they have to be arrogant or abrasive, but really owning their skill set and their experience of what they bring to the table and, and how important that is. And they have a hard time giving themselves that permission because I don't know if you found this, but some of my clients who've done a high level of education, they, they know that student mode really well and they can struggle with, oh, well, I'm finally here. I've arrived and now it's time to own it. I'm no longer the intern. I'm no longer the, the postdoc student. I haven't been for 15 years. It's time for me to remind myself I'm not an intern or it's time for me to remind myself that while I may be in this job for 10 months and it's a new position, that I'm doing this job and own my experience. It's like, who would we be if we could own, I mean, what was the Marianne Williamson quote, right? Mm-hmm. Our, our greatest fear is not that we're small. Our greatest fear is that we're big beyond measure. I'm paraphrasing, of course. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> but I think for a lot of people, we don't train people how to exist with being large, you know, with, with having an opinion, you know, with, with uh, being memorable. So a lot of times I say to my clients, isn't it time you're memorable? Ooh, that's good. I like that. Well, I think it goes to like, so there's the, we're not enough to I'm too much, right? I'm not enough to I'm too much. And Okay, that, I am too much. Right. I, I, I've been too much. I am too much. I will be too much. I mean, every way you can conjugate that verb, I am too much. And you know what? I've tried to be smaller in my life, and it doesn't make me any happier. Mm-hmm. In fact, I'm happiest when I'm fully myself. And, you know, it took me a long time to get there, but by golly, I, I, can't, I can't go back. I'm writing because that's so good. I'm happiest when I'm fully myself. So, you know, it's this continuum. It's it's kind of like this dictator, wild child, and in the space in between is this compassionate observer. And it's this idea of I'm not enough on one hand and I'm too much on the other. But really, it's when you're in that compassionate place and grounded on stable grounds, like being you, authentically you, it's about when you're fully yourself. It's not about being too full of yourself, but it's you being fully yourself. Because I think what happens is that we either hide away, make ourselves small, and this is at least for me, or I puff up and I make my, and I'm a big person, right? I'm 5'11", or I make myself really big. But neither of those feel really good. What feels really good is when I show up as me, because the energy is much less. Right. And if I show up as me in a conversation with another person, and that person somehow gives me the feedback, well, you are too much, (laughs) then I can look at them actually with a lot of compassion and say, this is a person who is in a different place than me. That doesn't, I mean, again, I'm not, if I'm aware that I'm not being arrogant, rude, or a jerk, you know, because you said something earlier that I wanted, uh, that I can't recall exactly what you said, but I wanted to say, yes, that's modeling. You know, sometimes I, I do believe that all of us model for other people. Mm-hmm. The aspirations. So, right, exactly. The aspiration part, right. And so if I'm in a conversation with somebody and I, or interaction with somebody, and I get the feeling that they think I'm too big or they actually say it out loud, you know, part of my compassionate witness thinks, well, maybe I'm modeling for them how they can liberate 
their own full self. Mm -hmm. So I don't change myself. I just continue to be myself, realizing that that other person may be just not in a place to appreciate it. Do you think that's delusion? No. I'm just asking asking outside eyes. I don't think it's delusion, but I think there's an important component to it because I, I know you, you're a good friend of mine, the values. It's about being fully yourself in line with your values. Right. Because it's not that I'm going to be fully myself and to hell with you because that's not in line with your values. No. Right. So it can still be, there can be kindness, there can be compassion. And I think that becomes important because again, inner gladiator is to hell with you. Let me show you. Right. And when we are fully ourselves, it's about being in line with our values. Right. See, there's another book, Inner Gladiator. That's a great, <laughs> now, see, we've come up with two really great book titles today. Now it's just about writing the books. Yeah, right. <laughs> and when you coach as much as we do. <laughs> you know, I mean it. So I, I like, I, so I wrote down this. This is a person who is in a different place than me. And that's just compassionate. There's not judgment. We're just in different places. And going back in, I think again of checking in with, okay, Am I living in line with my values? Am I living in line with who I am? And and that's okay. And oh, I know what I want to say. I'm jumping. But when you were talking about the modeling that goes on, like you are modeling for others what can be possible. So there's two components. One is one of my favorite t-shirts I own. I have mm-hmm. I've owned like eight of them, I think. Is well-behaved women rarely make history. So because that was a huge permission for me to allow Absolutely. me to use my voice. And then the other is, is that when you, when the study, you know, athletics again, Title IX, it was, became a federal law in 1972, the year I was born. But what really changed and has been a huge growth for female athletes in sports is that when young girls started seeing other women play, they said, hey, that's something that I can do too. Yeah. You know, and I, I have, I don't know if we've ever talked about this because, uh, so the, the, Title IX passed, uh, was enacted in 1972, but it took many years mm-hmm. for it to actually be implemented. Still. Um, still, right. So, and so I am older than you, and I graduated from high school in 1978, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, when I started as a freshman, there, there were, I mean, I went to a big high school and you could do, field hockey in the fall, mm-hmm. you could do basketball in the winter, and you could do softball or track in the spring. And one of uh, one girl, and I won't say her name, but one girl uh, after Title IX passed went out for the boys' lacrosse team. Mm-hmm. You know, but those were the girls' sports. The boys had, they had lacrosse, they had soccer, they had football, they, you know, they had all these different sports. And so she went out for the boys' lacrosse team and she made it. Mm-hmm. And I thought so many girls in our school looked at her and thought, wow, she can do that. Mm-hmm. My daughter had a different approach to sports, even though I'm a fairly athletic person. And I think it's because more things were open to her. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so, you know, I think maybe there's what, what I'm getting at or what you're prompting here is there's also, I think, a generational thing with self-doubt. And that I think when you look at women who are older than I am, they didn't have a chance to uh, prove themselves athletically in the same way that 
girls who came up after Title IX did, mm-hmm. and still in a different way than the way our our girls are. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's, it's just a, it's different. It is different, um, and and so I think that one of the things that we have to think about, and this is a conversation I was having with somebody yesterday, is that you know if you show up authentically as you and this modeling that you're talking about that sometimes we may not know, and it's really not our business to know the impact of what we do, but you never know what words you use and how somebody will remember that and it will carry with them. And so really being, when we think about how we want to model and how we want to show up as ourselves, how important that is, because when I show up small in my life, I'm not really showing, well, I'm not showing up. And, and that's also one of the things that I'm out in the world, you know, and I, with so like say I've got the swim team that I run and if I'm showing myself as small then that's what I'm modeling for other girls right and if I want them to be able to grow up and be confident or if you're a parent and you want your kids to grow up and be confident how are you modeling confidence in your own home exactly right you know it popped into my head um because we were talking about title nine and athletics is that I think you know that I started taking Pilates in uh-huh. um last uh in the well october i think late september october of last year and the first class i went to i was and it's on the machines so it's <clears throat> there's like things you have to put around your feet it's like complicated in some ways and and the, you have to follow instructions and the first time i did it i was horrible i was so always oh, just pathetic i mean i was uncoordinated i couldn't do it i had no muscle strength blah 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 but I thought of Carol Dweck and I thought, okay, you know, I'm a learner. I'm just learning this. So I'm going to keep going. And if I keep going and sometime I don't like it, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'll stop. But I keep going. I mean, I'm still going now. And what the confidence that it's given me that I can acquire new skills. If I just throw myself into it as a learner, it is still possible for me to acquire new skills. Not that I'm that old, but you know, I think sometimes with self doubt, there is an aspect of like things are fixed, this is the way it is, and nothing's ever going to change. But I started taking Pilates, so <laughs> I have proven, you know, that that I can do something I have never done before. I can do it badly, mm-hmm. and then I can do it better. Mm-hmm. And so I would urge every listener who's really crippled by self-doubt or haunted by self-doubt is to find something where they can be a learner and they can use a learning experience like Pilates or tennis or swimming or, or uh, learning Italian or whatever as sort of that, that benchmark, that, that rock to say, Hey, look, I tried something that I'd never done before and I did it because I think that is the kind of the way to grow confidence. So I, I did this with Pilates. You know, maybe I can do it with my taxes. You know? Say more. Like, I don't want to, I have somebody <laughs> who does my taxes, really. I don't know why that, that threat. But, you know, like something that I was thinking, what's hard? Mm-hmm. What's hard? What's kind of detail-y? For me, I don't like details. Like, what's like hard detail That's like taxes, right? Mm-hmm. But I took on Pilates, which is kind of hard and kind of detail-y and kind of you have to follow directions. 
So if I can do that, why couldn't I do the other thing mm-hmm. that I, I currently have self-doubt about? Absolutely. I mean, one of the, the, I don't like the word mantra, but like motto or whatever that I go with is when I start to have self-doubt, like when it, there's something new or I'm uncertain, is I just remind myself, it's learnable. It's that is learnable. A great. That's a there's a t-shirt for you. <laughs> it's learnable. I love that. But you have to be willing to go into growth mindset. So yesterday, one of my former athletes who was just a, a great athlete, she uh, was an athlete at Stanford, so big Pac-12 school, and um, she wasn't just a bench rider; like she she was a major contributor. And we were talking because she went to a yoga class, and she she was saying, wow, you know, there's all these different, I don't really do yoga and there's all these different names and it's overwhelming. And there was that, that I'm not good at this. And what people sometimes think, because I was not nearly this great of an athlete as she was, and I'm not trying to do comparative suffering or anything. I'm just, there's, it's a mathematical fact. But what people think, like I know with me is, oh, well, you were this once great collegiate athlete. So therefore it's all easy for you. And, but see, it's hard for me because I wasn't, we can all walk into a room or a new, new thing for me to jump into a pool. Sure. It's not an issue. I jump in. I don't worry about it for me to walk into an environment, even though there may be athletic, you know, uh, transfer of athletic skills, it can still create a storm in my brain and realizing that Maybe you're a listener out here and going, oh, well, Corinne was this collegiate athlete. Michelle was an athlete. They had all this experience and they're trying new things. And it's not that hard for them. Really, it's about changing the story that we have in our brain going, I'm a learner. I'm willing to be uncomfortable. I'm willing to not know and to make silly mistakes. Yes. And it doesn't have to only be athletics. Mm -hmm. Uh, For Christmas, I gave my brother and his wife... um, a couple of weeks of uh, Blue Apron food. Do you know that thing that yes. all the food comes in a box? And what's really been great is even though they've been cooking meals, you know, they've been together almost 25 years, they've been cooking meals together forever. They're learners when it comes to this process. And what a great way to rejuvenate things. You know, you if you've always forever cooked rice one certain way, what if the recipe calls for a different way? How awesome is that? Mm-hmm. And if you can if you can cook whatever they tell you to cook and you cook it well and it's delicious, it's just as much conquering self-doubt as it would be as if you ran a marathon mm-hmm. in my book. So mm-hmm. it doesn't have to be big stuff to prove to you how how capable and how strong you really are. Mm-hmm. And knowing that, I mean, there's going to be some area, some arena in your life that you have it down and just remembering that it's a transferable skill set. So like for me, cooking is another area that triggers a lot of stuff for me because I've only started learning how to cook about three years ago. But And I remember going into it going, okay, and I would have to remind myself, I'm a learner. This is practice. It's okay if I make mistakes. And even to the point where one of my friends had taught me how to grill steaks, but they happened to be ribeyes, mm. right? And it was great when he was here teaching me. And then, so what do I do? I go to the store and I buy ribeyes because that's all that I know because that's what he taught me and I do exactly what I'm taught. <laughs> and I'm walking out to the grill You're going... coachable, right? Yeah. I go, why am I starting with ribeyes? Because all of a sudden I went, oh my gosh, what if I like ruin these and they're such an expensive cut of meat? 
And I had to just, again, I was in that state of panic and I can feel my muscles just tighten up and my body flush right now as I say it. And this happened a few years ago. And instead I said, well, well, this is practice. This is what I chose. I didn't really think about possibly buying hamburgers instead and practicing on my own. So I reached out to him and he helped me, you know, via the phone and I did it. And I just said, if they're well done, we're going to have some dry meat and that's okay. And I'm going to practice. And so I've gotten off the ribeyes. You know, I learned, I, I, I started making mental notes of maybe they're cheaper meats that I could go and practice with than ribeyes, but really getting myself to calm down instead of being in that panic. Right. Exactly. Right. Even when like the, I mean, obviously, you know, when you have the meat in your hands and you're walking to the grill, it's kind of a done deal and, and you need to have dinner on the table in 20 minutes. Right. So I had committed to this. Here it was. And we'll see what happens. <laughs> right. This week I made a thing. I, I have a, a crock pot, a you know, slow cooker. And I saw a recipe in the New York Times and I thought, oh, I'll make that. You know, I'll try that. Mm -hmm. So and I, I love to cook and I grew up cooking. So it's, you know, cooking for me is very easy. So I followed the recipe and the what emerged from the crock pot was kind of disgusting. <laughs> and being the way I have grown up and the way I was raised, I ate what I felt like eating and I, and I put the rest in a Tupperware thing. Mm -hmm. And the next morning I went and I threw that away because I knew I was never going to eat it. It was a, it was a, it was not a disaster. It just was not that great. Mm -hmm. But instead of again, making that a referendum on my worthiness, I'm like, well, there was a shot. Mm -hmm. I gave it a shot and it was not that good. Good to know. Right. Yeah. That's my favorite. Good to know. That's a good one. Good to know. Another good t-shirt. Right. So we're outfitting the lit the listeners with t-shirts, slogans, and <laughs> books. Uh, book titles, and it's awesome. What a great – this is like a, a multifaceted thing we're doing today. Scripts on what do you need to say to your children yeah. when you mess up. <laughs> Unbelievable. The richness of this. So. Well, you know, and as you mentioned at the start of the show, right, second-guessing ourselves and self-doubt is is so common. And But to not – like here, here's where as I've gotten to know myself better and, you know, really <clears throat> done a lot of my own introspection and had and how I've gotten to know myself is by falling down a lot, making a lot of mistakes and not beating myself up with it. But as I do that, I find that I'm on more stable ground. So there's there's still doubt um, that shows up from time to time, but there's less like there's not the panic of the second guessing. You know, I'll check in and I'll think about, okay, is this really what I want? And, but it's not panic. Like I'm, I'm on much more stable ground when I have that doubt or that even that second guessing where I used to have so much more frantic energy. And then I'd have to get on the phone with like 15 different people to see what they thought because they would know better than me. Right. You know, it's, it's funny that you say this is that, um, it depends on how high I make the stakes. When you said stakes before, but I'm saying stakes in a different way. <laughs> but, you know, I went on a blind date recently. Oh. I know. Trust me. And, you know, there are people and there would probably would have been a time in my life when I would have made the stakes like, this, had got, this has got to be good. Mm -hmm. You know, he's got to be the one. You know, all that stuff. Mm -hmm. um, but instead I went with a really open mind 
wonder what this guy's going to be like. It was a friend of a friend kind of deal. Um, wonder how this is going to be instead of like, oh my gosh, am I going to be too old? Am I going to be, you know, mm-hmm. too curvy, not curvy enough? Am I going to be too short, too tall? What is the deal? You know, like all that self-doubt that you could have. Instead, I just went in with, I wonder how this is going to go. It turned out to be a lovely, lovely thing. Um, but there was no spark or anything. It was just a nice person, but you know, not really the deal. And I didn't uh, criticize myself afterwards. I didn't, you know, I was just mm-hmm. like, okay, that was really interesting. Nice person to meet. Whereas I think it depends on how you go into these things. Are you making the stakes high? Are you, are you being hypercritical or are you just allowing the opportunity to be whatever the opportunity needs to be? I mean, I think this guy and I will probably, he's a brother of a friend of mine kind of mm-hmm. thing. We'll probably run into each other. And I think he's a perfectly lovely. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? It, but I think it's so much like, what am I bringing to the table? And that's huge. And I love how you talked about how is, I, I wonder how this is going to go. And then afterwards, there wasn't the beating, mm-hmm. right? And so there's this uncertainty. You don't really know, but you're going into it really as this compassionate witness and and paying attention versus, you know, oh, blind date, you know, whatever the stories that we can have that can be negative. And then there can be the criticizing. Or when we say this has to, like for me, it's like this has to go perfectly. This has to be the right choice. When a couple of years ago, I was finally putting in a tile backsplash into my house because I got stuck on what would be the right one. And I was finally putting in and I got in a bit of a panic because all of a sudden I raised the stakes really high that it had to be the right one. And I didn't want to waste money and, and all of that. And I went, wait a second, you know, I can afford if I don't like it to change it in a couple of years. I wasn't going to change it right then, but I was like, I can change it. And I give myself permission to do that. If I really don't like it, it's tile backsplash, Corinne, you know, relax you 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 believe that this is what you want you're not going to i don't i'm not somebody that i can see it before until it happens right so right. you'll see and then if it doesn't work out you can always go and change it it doesn't have to be there for the next 40 years cuz that was the stakes that i had risen to it had to be here and it had to be so wonderful that i would keep it for 40 years right and that's because i was in a lot of fear so for me it's about not going into it from a fearful place but more compassionate Right. Are the stakes high? You know, I've bought, I've just spent $20 on four ribeye steaks, which probably actually <laughs> would be more than that, right? Depending if, if you get a sale, maybe. But, you know, I've just spent, I've just spent $40 on steaks. I better not screw this up. Mm-hmm. Rather than saying, I just spent 40 bucks on steaks. I'm going to do my best. Yeah. That's so different. So different. I had a client one time when I was first starting as a coach, and it's going to sound so trivial, but she came to me because she felt very indecisive. Mm-hmm. And what it turned out, she was just extremely methodical. Her temperament was just very cautious and methodical. And the thing that she told me was like she had to replace her couch because her dog had chewed it up or whatever, her cat had gotten into it. <clears throat> and she couldn't make a decision on a new couch because it felt like I'm going to have this for 40 years. What if I don't Mm -hmm. like it? Mm -hmm. I'm going to spend, you know, X hundred dollars or thousand dollars on a couch and I have to make this right. The stakes were so high. Mm -hmm. 
And, you know, she ended up buying exactly the same couch she had. <laughs> <laughs> that that stakes are so high, I think, just trigger scarcity and making the right decision and being perfect. And instead of, okay, you know, well, even if it's an expensive thing or it's $40, you know, or it's $5, just understanding it's like, go do this. You know, is this like my, my rule is, will this hurt my family? Right. So if we worst case scenario with those ribeye steaks, I could totally burn them and they're not edible. And we're calling up the local Tex-Mex restaurant and getting burritos. Okay. So we're out, you know, the money. Um, and I, I wouldn't want to be wasteful. Right. And I think that's the thing is that we don't want to be wasteful. We've been told it's not okay to be wasteful, but sometimes mistakes happen. Right, we buy the wrong couch, we put the wrong tile backsplash, we uh, we I didn't burn the stakes, but we could possibly torch the stakes. But then there can be another solution to it. My daughter's dorm fridge um, stopped working, and I guess dorm fridges now are like critical. So, um, being the kid that she is, she looked at the number on the back of the refrigerator and called, you know, for repairs, call this number. And she just texted me before we started talking and said, well, um, they no longer make any replacement parts for this model. So I have to get a new fridge. And I can't believe I have to get a new fridge. I've only had this fridge 18 months, blah, 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 blah. Mm -hmm. And I said to her, go to Target, get a new <laughs> fridge. Mm -hmm. see how you can dispose of the old one. Mm -hmm. It's, it's a fridge. You know what I mean? It's mm -hmm. going to be like a hundred bucks, maybe 120 bucks, maybe at target. Mm -hmm. So again, if you don't make the stakes high, you can often find a solution. Yeah. You can figure out a solution and use your resourceful brain. Right. But when the stakes are high or we make it sometimes this perceived inflated height, right? That it doesn't right. need to be. All of a sudden we're in that fearful place. The lizard brain reacts and we can't really think things through. Right. So Michelle, as we close, second guessing and self-doubt. We talked about going in and getting still in some moment, some way. We talked about being reflective, um, maybe going out, having outside eyes with trust with a trusted friend. And I will get that link from you and put it on the show notes. Okay. Um, modeling and aspirations and um, how we go into a situation and not making the stakes high. Is there anything else for the listeners? Oh, if this is a repetitive thing, if you find that you are constantly in self-doubt, like I was talking about the woman who felt indecisive, but really the indecision was generated from her self-doubt, is that, you know, therapy might be a really great place to go in and really talk about what if there's something underlying that needs to be healed um, that gets you out of a, you know, a vicious cycle of self-doubt? Um, to me, that's one of the great things therapy is for, is to un uncover and understand what that stuff is about. From your past? Mm-hmm. That's wonderful. Well, Michelle, thank you so much for coming back. Thank you. It is always a pleasure. You know, every month I look forward to this. I it's love like it. My favorite thing. I love it. I love that we get to do this and the emails that I get or like the Facebook posts that people post, you know, and, and on different boards and Facebook and stuff that people really appreciate these conversations. So I love it. Thank you for doing this with me. It's my pleasure. Oh, I just love talking with Michelle. 
So we went over quite a bit in this hour together, the 45 minutes that she and I were together. And one of the things that becomes really important is how we started out the show. And when you're in self-doubt or you're second guessing yourself, the questions that you ask yourself are really important. Remember at the beginning of the show, she said the question of, am I doing this right? And at the end of the show, when she was talking about going on the blind date and how do you go into the situation? Are the stakes high? So that doing it right for a lot of my clients, they are the overachievers and they want that A plus. And we raise those stakes so high and mixed in there with our own self-doubt is the perfect shame storm. So I really invite you to ask yourself great questions because am I doing this right? For some of you, it may not even be a trigger. You'd be like, okay, am I doing this right? Am I not? Especially in the areas where you have a lot of confidence. If you're like me with the cooking of the ribeye steaks, am I doing it right? Could be like, oh my gosh, I'm going to waste money and I can even feel my gut getting really tight right now because I don't want to waste money. I don't want to waste food. And I have to lower the stakes, even though in my life, burning a couple of ribeyes is not going to be the end of the world. I have in my head made it the end of the world. So you know your life best and when, when something can be really tragic or you know maybe something that would be really um, detrimental in your life. And we have these fearful thoughts, but really look at, okay, what's the worst case that can happen? And ask yourself questions that aren't going to trigger more shame. We don't make good decisions from that place. So when we're in self-doubt, when we're second guessing ourselves, we really want to step out of that. It could be shame filled, filled, it could be fear filled, and it can be panic or anxiety and move instead into being into that compassionate place. I call it compassionate observer. Michelle calls it being a compassionate witness of your life and really looking in. And here's the thing. It's really about you being the boss of you and you really knowing yourself the best, you being your own expert on yourself. Test it out. See what works well for you. You know, I used to create a lot of drama because I'm good in crisis. And for me, that was a way to spur me to get going because that is kind of what I had learned how to do. And it works short term. It exhausted me long term. And so while the immediate results may have been fine, the long term results were really tough and cost me a lot. Opportunities that crash really hard just don't work. And now that I realize that I can be more sustainable and make decisions and actually better decisions. So for me, it's about how can I move to that confidence place and then make a decision? How can I move to that being well rested? And like I shared with you when I was talking with Michelle about the text, I'd sent a text, I was giving feedback and I was doing it quick and I was exhausted. And it really wasn't the message that I wanted to convey when I read it the next day with clear eyes. I went, ooh, that wasn't the message I was trying to convey. And and it was more panic driven, but really the panic was I was just trying to get it done so I can go to bed. Big mistake. I know for me, I operate best when I'm not in a place of panic, when I'm not in a place of fear. And so for me, it's about how can I calm down, make it and make a decision. Maybe it's giving myself permission to sleep on it. Maybe it's giving myself permission that I can give myself a couple days to let it percolate in my brain. And that was like probably one of the first steps that I took. Another was, I remember years ago, 
I instituted this 24-hour rule because people would come to me and ask me a question, especially being on the pool deck. They'd come to me and ask me a question and want immediate response. And I felt like, well, I had to answer (laughs) and give an answer. So I would just do it really quickly. And then later I'd be like, oh my gosh. So first I'm like, yay me, done with the question. That's off my plate, next thing. But then later I thought, oh no, as I look through the longer term ramifications, this is probably not an ideal situation to be a part of. So I instituted a 24-hour rule. And when parents would come up to me, I remember telling this one parent, I said, oh, I just instituted this new 24-hour rule. So when you ask me a question, I'll have to get back to you in 24 hours. And she thought it was really awkward. And it probably was. But I'd known her, I've known her for 20 years. And she just laughed and said, okay, here's Corinne's thing. But that is now something that is so ingrained in what I do. I don't tell people I'm doing a 24-hour rule. I'll say, I need some time to think about it. Or let me get back to you. Or can you please email me tomorrow to remind me that this is an issue that I need to bring up with so-and-so and that will really help me. So instead of me constantly taking on all this responsibility and this energy, I think about it and I create some space. So knowing for you what works best for you. And that also goes back to when Michelle was talking about um, stillness, being quiet and still. And maybe for you, It's going and taking a yoga class or going on a ride or going on a walk or going for a swim, or maybe it's sitting down by yourself. You are to learn about what is best for you. We give you these ideas because whether they're ways that work for us or for our clients, those are ideas about aspirations or modeling, as Michelle likes to term. They're not about this is the only way. You know, I'm not a blueprint kind of gal. I don't want somebody to be the boss of me. I like being the boss of myself. But I'm also willing to, there's this guy, Austin Cleon, that I've been following for a while and I want to get him on my show. But anyways, he has a book called Steal Like an Artist, which is so anti-academic world when we've been taught about plagiarizing. But if there's a nugget out there that you see somebody else doing or, or Michelle has some great sayings or my inner gladiator, whatever it is, steal it and go use it. If that's something that resonates for you or starts a script, like how Michelle's conversation with her kids, you know, I was taking some notes while she was talking and these are great phrases for me to start to use. And then I will create my own. I do a much better job that way. So here's the thing. If you don't get any message other than this one is to know you are not alone. We all can experience second guessing and self-doubt. My big invitation to you is to really check in. When do you make good decisions? When you're in that place of shame or when you can move to a place of confidence or compassion and making those decisions. And then finally, how do you move out of shame and into confidence or compassion? And remember, compassion and empathy are the antidotes of shame. Thank you so much for listening today. I really, really love doing this show. I love the format that has been transpiring in the mini-sodes. I've gotten a lot of great response on the mini-sodes. If there's a topic that you want me to do on the mini-sode, shoot me an email and let me know because I'm always interested in what you guys need help with. So let me know and maybe you never know. That may become a new mini-sode or it could be a topic with Michelle and I. I get a lot of emails in sometimes. That's another way we get topics. So thanks so much. Join the newsletter. Really, really join the newsletter. I write. That's the only place that I publicly write, you know, kind of my thoughts and ramblings. And again, it's another lesson. It's a short version lesson. Um, 
about life or learnings or perspective. So you can get that there. And I am building a community for us to gather around that will hopefully either be up by the time you hear the show or it will be coming soon. So thank you so much. And I want to do a shout out to Victoria Chung. Here's what she had to say. Oh my gosh. Thank you, Corinne. You and your guests are candid, courageous, authentic, and inspiring. Each episode is an easy flowing conversation that I personally feel invited to. I glean new insights that are supporting me and shifting my perspective and choices in my own life. I am left feeling grounded and empowered and appreciating how we are all so connected. I enjoy listening to this podcast while I get ready for the day, while I'm in the bath, while I'm driving. I will also go back to those episodes which resonate deeply with me in times of stress or when I'm preparing for a situation where I'll be stretched. If you're a first-time listener, you will surely find an episode or 10 that hit home with you. Listen, love, and share. This show is good for the global community. Many, many thanks. Victoria, thank you so much. That means a lot to me. And I also read it because you gave insight into where you, how you incorporate these shows into your life. Because it can be overwhelming. They're an hour long. The minisodes are short, but these can be long. And how do you incorporate it or that you go back and you re-listen and how these can also get you grounded. So thank you so much for taking the time to for putting a iTunes review and it brings my heart joy. And I love Canadians and you're from Canada. So thank you so much. You guys, I'm smiling big for you and I look forward to next time. Take care. On a lake, she is dreaming, she is drifting, never been so. Soul-